everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, Nana to seven, and 25-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler and my most recent book published by Zondervan, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life. Uh, I'm really excited because I'm getting such great feedback from moms on this book. I just encourage you to check it out. Um, They're telling me it's an easy read. It's like having a conversation with someone. So even if you're not really a book reader, I would highly recommend you go and check out this book and uh, or even get the audiobook. It is available on um, as an audiobook as well. You know, as busy moms, sometimes we just need to keep our hands moving, but we can be listening to something and be filling our spirits and being inspired. And I'm hoping that this book will do that for you. The podcast is growing like crazy. Thanks to all of you for sharing with your friends and uh, just telling people about it. We're at nearly 600,000 downloads and uh, I'm excited because uh, really it's just involved a lot of plotting and trying to be faithful to be here every week with you. And it is a privilege and an honor to do that because um, there's nothing better than being able to speak life and strength and courage and inspiration into the lives of parents who are raising the next generation. Generation. So, um, in the in part one of this particular episode, um, well, I guess this is the second episode of a two part <laughs> two part podcast. Anyway, um, I was talking to Elizabeth Urbanowitz in our last in part one, and we are continuing our conversation here, talking about seven lies our kids believe. Um, now, this is sort of coming on the heels of a couple other podcasts I did a while back called Giving. Um, the importance of giving your kids a biblical education. I encourage you to go listen to that if you haven't. And another episode where I talked about simple ways to begin teaching our kids apologetics. And if you listen to that, you'll remember me talking about some materials that I got from Foundation Worldview. And Foundation Worldview is actually Elizabeth's, um, what do you call it, Elizabeth? A publishing company, a a curriculum? We call it it? a ministry, a ministry that produces curriculum. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Perfect. All right. So Elizabeth is here with us again today. Um, Last time she shared three of the seven lies. Um, They were, if I feel it, it must be true. Uh, The second one was follow your heart. And the third was love is affirming. uh, What is it? Affirming everything someone does. Or how did you phrase that? Everything I feel. (laughs) Everything I feel. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm listening to this and I'm just thinking, oh, we are seeing this all over the place. But it was just such a uh, great reminder that all truth comes from God. And we, we can't make our own version of it. It's it's something that comes from Him, and you helped clarify that and uh, helped uh, teach us how to do the same with our children. So I'm looking forward today to hearing the next four lies. But before I do that, if you didn't join us for the first part, please go back and listen to that. Um, and if you didn't join us for the first part, you didn't get to hear Elizabeth's bio. So I'm going to read through that real quickly. I always like to know just a little background on the person that I'm listening to. Where do they come from? What's their experience? And so I'm going to just take a minute to uh, let you know about that. Elizabeth is a follower of Jesus who is passionate about equipping kids to understand the truth of the Christian worldview. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Elementary Education from Gordon College, an MS Ed in Education from Northern Illinois University, and an MA in Christian Apologetics from Biola University. 
Elizabeth spent the first decade of her professional career teaching elementary students at a Christian school. She now works full-time on developing comparative worldview and apologetics resources for children, and her goal is to prepare the next generation to be lifelong critical thinkers and, most importantly, lifelong disciples of Jesus. I love that because isn't that what we're doing, parents? Isn't that our desire? For our children, this is what we're trying to do, and uh, Elizabeth is joining us on that journey and helping to equip us to do that. So thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, let's just dive into these next four. I can't wait to hear them. So we're moving on to number four of the seven lies our children believe. Yes, and this one is is a lie that we might have to take a minute to think about because we might actually have bought into it. Um, and this lie is that faith is the opposite of knowledge. Because mm. a lot of times, even within the Christian community, we can buy into this lie that faith is just like, wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we think of that, you know, that verse in Hebrews 11, you know, that that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And we can think of, oh, it's what we hope for. And a lot of times we think of, you know, like, oh, I hope it'll stop raining or, you know, like, oh, I hope I'm able to go on this vacation in a few months. And that's just like wishful thinking, you know, like, like this is something I desire. It may or may not come true. But But hope is also something that we can know is coming in the future. And that's how the, you know, the, um, the apostle that wrote Hebrews is talking about faith. And so we need to be really careful that we don't buy into this lie that our faith is somehow not knowledge, that it's just this wishful thinking. Because if we, if we actually look at what scripture says about biblical faith, from Genesis through Revelation, we see that God is asking his people to place their trust in him who we cannot see because everything we can see points to him. <laughs> that he's not asking us for blind faith. He's asking us for, for this evidence-based trust because he has revealed who he is. And we see this all throughout scripture. Um, You know, I'll just talk about a little bit about where we see this and then how we can address this with our children. Because when we think of, you know, of scripture and we think, you know, think of Exodus 20, and most people know that's where the 10 commandments comes in. Um, But Exodus 20 does not start off with commandment number one. Exodus 20 starts off with God reminding his people who he is and what he's done for them. He starts off by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he jumps into how he expects his people to trust him and to behave. And think about what the people of God had just seen. They had just seen 10 visible signs that God is the master of the entire universe. And if that weren't enough, then they saw him part the Red Sea. Then they saw him lead them by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So God gives them all this evidence And we see this all throughout scripture. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins and we of all people are most to be pitied. So he's saying, you know, this this event that took place in history, if it didn't really take place, it's not like Christianity is just this nice 
wishful thinking religion. It's like, no, it's not true. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we're wasting our time here, but he did rise. And so therefore we're to place our trust in him. So scripture is very clear in speaking to this. And so we need to make sure that we are helping our children understand that, that faith is not the, the opposite of knowledge, that biblical faith is evidence-based trust. And several years ago, uh, Ligonier Ministries came out with a state of theology report, and they found that 41% of young adults who were still practicing Christians, you know, still within the church, 41% of evangelical young adults said that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. And so that means that, you know, four out of every 10 young adults thinks, you know, this is, this is just my personal belief. It's not actually true. So what we want to do to help our kids just, you know, uncover this lie is to help them understand the difference again between subjective feelings and objective truth. And a lot of times, you know, we have these subjective personal experiences with God. And that's a great thing. We want our children to experience Jesus, but we want them to also understand that their subjective experience is grounded in the objective truth of who God is and what he has done in human history. So what we can do with our kids, excuse me, we can actually ask them, you know, what is the definition of faith? And we can actually look at, you know, some people think faith is just wishful thinking. They think it's blind. And then let's, let's see, does, is this how scripture presents faith? And we can take them to those passages, you know, like Exodus 20 or 1 Corinthians 15, or we can take them, you know, in, um, in Matthew, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact chapter it's in, but where John the Baptist starts to doubt, you know, that Jesus is who he says he is. Or we can take them to John 20, you know, where Jesus talks to Thomas about his doubts and say, okay, so is faith in God, according to these passages, is it blind? Is it wishful thinking? And then talk through, no, God is consistently giving his people evidence. And then have them look at, okay, let's look at how different people use the word faith. What definition are they using? Are they using this blind, wishful thinking? Or are they actually using the biblical definition that it says evidence-based trust? And so this is so important to equip our kids with this understanding so that they realize that their faith is not subjective feelings. It is objectively true. That's absolutely right. I love that phrase, evidence-based trust. Mm. This isn't blind faith. There's evidence all around us. You know, you could start with nature. Mm -hmm. You know, the scripture talks about how nature just basically is constantly proclaiming that there is a God. Mm. You know, it's interesting, a little personal side note. Um, you know, as I think a lot of us sort of have a little more attention paid on our physical health right now. And, and I realized the other day that when God said that, you know, his, you know, he is evidenced in creation, he's evidenced in us as part of his creation. And that was something that I, I mean, I, I got, had kind of a general sense of that, but the fact that he's put our bodies together in such a way, so intricately with immune systems and ways to be healthier and ways to fight off things and things like that. To Mm -hmm. me, I thought, wow, there's, there, there's God right there. You know, we're, we're more, we're more intricately made and, and put together than any other part of creation. Mm. And so it was just such a, it's kind of an aha moment for me, but I love that evidence-based trust. That is so good. Okay. Let's move on to number five. Well, actually, you know, just what you just told us right there about our bodies being evidence of, you know, who God is that, that, 
goes in perfectly with lie number five, (laughs) um, which is that humans are the product of blind, unguided evolution. Um, And, you know, this lie has been permeating our culture, you know, for a long time now. You know, Darwin, you know, was back in the 1800s. But a lot of times now this lie isn't so much argued as it's just assumed. It's assumed in everything in our culture. And it's not just in public school science classrooms. It's just even if we think about the lie, follow your heart, you know, or love is affirming everything I feel. These lies actually, you know, they find their root in this worldview that says, you know, we're just the products of blind, unguided evolution. Because if there is no design to the universe, if there's no design to us, we have no objective purpose. (laughs) You know, there is no objective purpose to our lives. And so therefore we have to create our own meaning and our own purpose. And so this lie just permeates so many, so many things. And so what I encourage parents to do is a lot of times when we're talking about creation and we're talking about science, there are so many different questions that we could focus in on. And it's it's really difficult for us to take a deep dive in all of these questions. So I really encourage people to focus in on the question, how did life begin? You know, because our bodies are these complex systems, just as you said, and there's so much going on, you know, that we're not even aware of on a just a mm-hmm. daily basis. And so mm-hmm. I really encourage people to focus in on this question. And again, as we talk talked about on the last podcast, if we want our kids to understand these more complex, abstract concepts, what we need to do is we need to attach something physical to them. And what we want our kids to see is that there is so much information in our genetic coding, that our DNA is so complex. And we want them to see that that complexity points to a designer. So a really simple activity to do with kids is to take either Scrabble tiles or Bananagram tiles or any like little letter tiles that you have. And before they come into the room, take a bunch of those letter tiles, shake them up in a cup and just dump them out in a certain spot on your coffee table or on your floor, just somewhere. Then take the same group of letters and, or well, the same letters, but a different group of them and arrange them next to those random letters and have them spell out a sentence. Like a lot of times I'll spell out the sentence, life contains information. And then I'll have the kids come in the room and I say, okay, we're gonna be detectives today. We wanna figure out how did these letters get here? And so we'll look at the first pile, you know, that's just a jumble and I'll say, okay, let's look at this pile. Hmm, do, do we see any words here? And you know, kids will say, well, there's an A, there's an I. It's like, okay, you know, so these one letter words, we see a couple of them. Does it spell out any sentences? No, there's really no information there. And then we'll talk about, well, does it look like these letters got there accidentally or on purpose? And it looks like they got there accidentally. And then I'll say, but could they have gotten there on purpose? Could someone have come in and arranged them exactly that way? And yes, they could have. Then we look at the next group of tiles and say, wow, what do you see there? Oh my goodness, it spells out a whole sentence. Life contains information and all the letters are facing the same way and they're evenly spaced. And wow, that gives us a lot of information. And then we talk about, hmm, does this look like it got there accidentally or on purpose? And well, it looks like it got there on purpose. And we say, well, it does look like it got there on purpose, but could it have gotten there accidentally? And a lot of times kids will say no, but other times they'll say yes. And then what we'll do is we'll actually say, let's try to get this sentence again. So we'll take those letters, put them in a cup, shake them up, dump it out on the table or on the floor and say, oh, did we get that sentence? No, we didn't. Try it again, you know, try it two, three times. And then say, well, what if we tried this 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, a million times? Would we ever get those letters to accidentally spell out that sentence so perfectly? 
No, we wouldn't. (laughs) And then we talk about how anytime we see information, it always comes from someone with a purpose. Mm -hmm. It always comes from an intelligent source. And then we open up the science textbook and talk about, you know, the vast quantity of information that's found in one cell, you know, in our body. And then say, hmm, if we can't get this one sentence by accident, does the evidence point to us coming about accidentally or on purpose? Mm -hmm. And it's so Mm -hmm. clear to the kids, oh my goodness, like all of this evidence is pointing towards a designer. And then bring in those passages of scripture you were talking about, you know, talking about Romans 1, you know, where, where man clearly sees who God is through through creation. And then Psalm 19, you know, talking about the heavens declaring the glory of God and saying, look at this scripture points to exactly what we just discovered in our own investigation. And just for our kids to see that, again, the, the evidence all around us points to God's design. I love that. Are you still there? I am, yes. Okay. (laughs) It just got quiet really fast. Oh, sorry. (laughs) You you are absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. that, As you're telling this story, I'm thinking about just the the picture that came to mind was just this things just being cemented for our kids Mm. in those kinds of scenarios where like nobody's going to move them on this because it's when they experience that and that realization hits them in such a full and powerful way, Mm. um, that's not going to be able to be shaken. And I think that is, that is what we all want as parents. That's what we're all hoping for. And so I love, um, isn't it just like God, he makes, he can make things so simple, Mm. um, so that they're just easily understood. They're easily, um, you know, absorbed by our children. And so I love how you tie in these activities in with these foundational truths. And and that's what you do in the material. Um, I was sharing in the last podcast, I've looked at the material myself, I've handled it. And um, it is, it's, it's exactly what, what Elizabeth is sharing with us right now. She shows you exactly exactly how to do this in the book. And so uh, I would encourage you to, to check it out um, or in all of her materials because I know there's there's more than one book, correct? Correct, yes. And okay, yes. Yep. Okay. All right, let's move on to number six. Yes. So this lie might sound a little funny when I say it, <laughs> um, but lie number six is you are the one you've been waiting for. And um, this is a line I actually lifted right from the movie Frozen 2. Um, and when this is a line in one of the songs and when they, the characters mm. sang it, I actually was sitting in the theater thinking, oh my goodness, did they actually just articulate this <laughs> out loud? Um, because it's a lie that, that is usually not articulated in that way, but is articulated mm-hmm. in so many different ways in our culture. You know, like we're constantly told and our children are constantly told you are enough, you know, look for within, look, look within yourself for the strength mm-hmm. that you need. You can be anyone that you want to be. You determine your own destiny. Basically, you can rescue yourself. And sometimes if we're not careful, you know, there, there are even materials circulating within the Christian world, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that have this lie that, you know, like you, you are enough. You have the strength within you. And, you know, that is the complete antithesis of the gospel. <laughs> that, the, you know, the gospel is that, that we are created in God's image and we have this value, this intrinsic value that no one can strip us of. But we are also irreversibly broken, you know, in every part. And the only, you know, the only solution to that brokenness is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. 
And, you know, we want to help our kids understand both of those parts, you know, that, that they are objectively valuable, that they have this intrinsic worth that no one can strip them of. But this worth has nothing to do with their talents, their abilities, their looks. It has everything to do with the fact that they are image bearers of the holy God. Um, and so we want to make sure that they know that, you know, like, yes, we make decisions every day and those have an impact, you know, on how, how our life plays out. But we do not within ourselves have the strength to rescue ourselves from this sin problem. Mm-hmm. So one thing mm-hmm. we want to do is, is again, this is, again, why the um, the understanding the difference between objective truth and subjective preferences is so important that our kids understand that, you know, like the objective truth is that there's a problem somewhere and we want to actually ask them. So hmm, when we look at the world around us, where does the problem primarily come from? Does it come from within, you know, within us or does it come from the culture or is it kind of a mixture of both because the cultural narrative that we have right now is that the problem is not inside of us the problem is out there it's society you know and people are basically good but society just corrupts them and so we want to actually ask our kids hmm are you know like is the problem just out there or do you find any problem in your own heart (laughs) you know and this is where we really want them to understand that you know the problem is primarily from within and then there are problems out there because we humans (laughs) you know impact society and culture so yes society and culture and other people can have a negative impact on us but the primary problem is from within and so what we want to do is we want to help them just see that you know when when we are actually looking for a solution, the solution is only found in Jesus because we don't just need more programs to reform our society. Mm-hmm. You know, we need individual hearts and minds transformed. And that's, again, when we can take them to Scripture, you know, particularly Romans 3, you know, that just outlines the universal human problem of sin and the solution in Jesus. So we want our kids to have this thorough understanding of they are intrinsically valuable, but they are not the ones that they have been waiting for. That person is Jesus. Mm, I love that. And that is the essence of a gospel-centered mm, home. You know, yes. we talk about this a lot. I've mentioned this a lot in the podcast. Um, just having a gospel-centered home and a gospel-centered mentality. And this right here, this is key to that. And I, I find it interesting that the enemy would um, be trying to permeate uh, our culture, our families with that lie, Mm -hmm. um, because it is the polar opposite Mm -hmm. of the truth of the gospel. And so I love the way you explained that. All right, we're going to go on to number seven. Um, Tell us about the seventh lie. Yes, the seventh lie is one that I wish I had discovered years before I did (laughs) so that I could have addressed it with my students sooner. And this lie is that a good God wouldn't judge. Because in our culture, we constantly hear the message, don't judge, it's wrong to judge. Who are you to judge? And I I saw this one year very clearly in my classroom. I was teaching handwriting. I was teaching cursive handwriting. And I was going around and I was correcting the students' handwriting in their individual papers. And I came to this one student, and I don't remember exactly what letter we were working on, but let's just say it was the lowercase j. And I corrected the student. I said, oh, you know what? I know you're trying really hard on this, but look at the loop for your j is backwards. You need to make it the other way. And she looks up at me and she goes, don't judge me. 
And I like, I burst out laughing because that was not what I was expecting to come out of her mouth. Um, but then I thought, you know what, this is, this is really important for me to address right now. So I asked her, I said, you know what, is there a right way to make the cursive J? And she said, yes. I said, okay, so if there's a right way, that means there's a whole bunch of wrong ways. And then I said, as your teacher, is it part of my job to help you make the cursive J the right way? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, then it's my job to judge your handwriting. <laughs> so I am judging your handwriting and I am going to continue to judge it because I love you. <laughs> All right. You just oh. equipped every homeschooling mom out there. This is great. Got moms, write this down. This is going to work in your favor. <laughs> yes. You know, it's our job as the teachers That's of right. these children to judge their work. Um, but, you know, in our culture, our culture takes this even a step further, um, especially in progressive Christian circles, takes this concept of judging even further, you know, to say a good God wouldn't judge. And so there's even like this belief now, you know, that like in the, the in the end, you know, like love wins. Everybody's going to go to heaven. You know, God would never judge someone. And on the surface, because so many words in our culture have been hijacked, we can think like, oh, yeah, you know, judgment isn't a good thing. You know, of course, God loves everybody. But when we mm -hmm. think about it. You know, if someone commits a violent crime against us, you know, and, and seriously hurts us or someone in our family, would a good judge say, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to let you off on the hook. You know, let you off the hook this time. You know, just just don't do that again or, or try not to do that again. No. Like if someone commits a serious violent crime against us or against someone in our family, the right thing to do is for that person to be punished. Mm -hmm. And so we want to actually directly address this lie with our children. And an easy way to do this, to put something physical to this, is we can actually play a game with our kids. You know, play a board game or just play a game outside and have one of our children not follow the rules. You know, specifically give them that assignment beforehand. <laughs> you know, say, I want you to not follow the rules. I want you to cheat in this way. And then... As the adult, when we see that child cheating, not to say anything, say, you know what, it's okay, it's really not that big a deal, and just have them go along doing that. And our other children, we know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, they're going to be furious. <laughs> you know, they might even, you know, like storm away from the table, you know, if we're playing a board game or if we're playing a game outside. And then to, to draw it back and say, okay, you know what, that, that wasn't fair, and we can't, you know, we can't continue playing this game this way. But then to ask, you know, I was, I was the judge in this situation, and when your brother, when your sister you know, when they cheated you in this game, I didn't do anything. Was I being a good, was I being a good judge in this? No, I actually ended up hurting you because I did not require everyone to follow the rules. And so then to take it a step back and say, okay, so let's think about that. If God is good, will he judge people for their sin? <laughs> yes. He mm -hmm. will. If he is a good God, he will judge people for their sin. And then we can again circle back to the gospel and talk about, you know, God himself. He gave himself as this sacrifice so that we will not be judged according to our sin one day because Jesus, you know, was already judged according to our sin. But just so that they see that, you know, when somebody just makes this blanket statement, you know, don't judge or a good God wouldn't judge that. No, when we take a step back and look at that, we realize a good and loving God will judge. And there are times, you know, when we are called to make judgment calls, you know, in the life that we're living. So again, by directly addressing this, we can really deflate the power of this lie. I love that. And in the, the permeating, one of the permeating messages that I've seen through these seven lies is just how words are being hijacked or weaponized. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned this earlier, mm -hmm. words are being weaponized against 
the truth. Mm -hmm. And so we need to take those words back and give our kids their true meaning, their true definition, um, so that they can go into the world so much wiser. So thank you, Elizabeth, for being with us today. Appreciate (laughs) you helping. All right. So, uh, moms, I would really love for you to check out, um, foundation worldview materials. I'm going to leave all the connection information, in the show notes, um, Elizabeth is going to send that to me. I'm going to make sure that you know how to connect with her on social media or website and all of that. Um, thank you, moms, for being here with me today. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for our time together. We're so grateful. God, we could be a hot mess if it wasn't for the fact that you give us truth to stand on. You give us a solid foundation that is unchanging because you are unchanging. Our world is fickle. People are fickle. Uh, Society is fickle, God, but you never change. Um, You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're so thankful that you have given us um, an anchor for our souls. And so I just pray that as the parents uh, who are listening have heard this and the children have listened, I pray that truth would permeate their hearts and their homes and that all of us would be more well-equipped to move forward um, speaking truth and living truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.